Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We can come before God personally. We are called to worship Him in spirit. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're picking up again in the study. This is part two. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. I entitled this message, Just One. There's just one God, there's one law, and that's what it is. See, there's many things in life that there's just one of, right? I'm reminded of when God called Gideon to deliver God's people. Now, Gideon was like many of us today. He complained of his plight. He didn't like what was going on around him. The whole country's fearing the, the, the Moabites that were around them. And he didn't like what was going on. So he was complaining like everyone else was complaining. And then finally, you know, God comes down and challenges him. He says, hey, Gideon, I got a plan. Yeah, you're down here complaining about you don't like the way things are going on and everything. So I'm going to raise you up and you're going to deliver God's people. I will strengthen you. And then that's, of course, when Gideon broke out the real box of tissues and started to whine and everything to the Lord himself. So he gave a history lesson to the Lord. It's like, you're going to raise me up? Don't you know who I am? Or maybe I should say, don't you know who I'm not? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. You remember Manasseh? Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're the ones that moaned and groaned, griped and complained when they came into the promised land. So we're of the least of the least of the of the people that came in out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, of course, he goes on to say, and don't you know who my dad is? Well, my dad is the least of all the families that are in Manasseh. And then who am I? In my father's house? I'm the least of my father's house. Lord, don't you understand? I'm the least of the least of the least. You got the wrong guy here. You got the wrong person. I can't do this. And God's like, uh, yeah, right. It's like he listens to us, like, mm-hmm, right. Okay, so anyway, I'm sending you. <laughs> it's like, just like he did with Moses. Moses gave all those excuses, like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, I'm sending you. So, he, he, so Gideon's like, well, how do I know if it's really you? He goes, all right, so Lord, I'm going to lay out this piece of wool on the ground, and tomorrow morning, if, you know, the ground is full of dew all over like it is every morning, but on the wool, it'll be completely dry. So he got up the next morning, went out there, looked at the wool. The ground is completely soaked with dew from the morning, and the wool, dry as dry could be. But what if, what if that was just kind of a freak thing? Okay, God, okay, just one more thing. Okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to set out the wool again, but this time let the ground all be dry and let the wool be wet. He goes out there the next day, the ground is completely dry, and there's like gallons of water in the wool. Okay, I guess maybe that is God. Okay, so anyway, he throws out his little fleece, and finally, it's like, all right. So what did God want him to do? God wanted him to go into the backyard of his dad. 
Now, his dad was an idol worshiper. His dad had set up in his backyard the, uh, an idol of Baal and an idol of Asherah. Again, she's the female goddess of sex and love. So people would come back there in his backyard and, and they would bow down and worship these two idols in his dad's backyard. He goes, I want you to go tear those down and build an altar to the Lord for a sacrifice. So Gideon's like, okay, can I do it at night when everyone's asleep? I'm a little afraid. Okay, fine, do it tonight. So everyone goes to bed. He goes out there, rips everything apart. And then they wake up the next morning. They come over there to worship their little Asherah God. And they realize it's all been torn down. Then they ask around, who did this? It comes back to Gideon. So they go to Joash, his dad, like, hey, we want to take your son and we want to kill him. Remember, that's like, we can't believe he tore down our idols here. And then, of course, you know, something happened to his dad in the midst of all of this. Because when they wanted to kill Gideon, all of a sudden, you know, this step of faith by Gideon somehow seemed to energize his backslidden father. Now, all of a sudden, his dad stands up for his son against the whole mob. And of course, his dad is the least in the tribe of Manasseh. But his dad stands up and he says, wait a second here. And he says this in Judges 6.31. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, will you contend for Baal, the God, or will you deliver him? If he is a God, let him contend for himself. It's like, wait a second, we're out here worshiping this God of Baal. And now his temple's torn down. And you want to come and kill my son? If Baal is God, can't Baal defend himself? Do we have to defend this God that we've been worshiping? See, just like that, everything changed because it's like, wait a second. Shouldn't this God defend himself? It's like, maybe this God isn't a God at all. Just like when the false prophets of Baal were up on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a pretty cool place. You stand there, you look to the west, you see the Mediterranean Sea. You look to the east and there's this beautiful valley. It's the Valley of Megiddo. And the Valley of Megiddo is recorded that in the last time, you know, that people will come to the Valley of Megiddo and it'll be the last battle when Jesus Christ splits the sky in half and comes back and we're all with him and the great battle of Armageddon will happen there in the Valley of Megiddo. But before that happens, it's a beautiful valley. So here they are on top of Mount Carmel. And the reason that you have uh, the prophet up there, Elijah, is because the people have been worshiping this Baal God up there. And so he says, listen, what are you people doing? If the Lord is God, you need to serve and worship him. And if Baal is God, you need to serve him. But the people didn't say anything. They said nothing. Like their silence was deafening. It screamed of the backslidden position that they had fallen into. And that's when the challenge went forth from Elijah the prophet. He says, all right, you false prophets of Baal. I'm telling you what, I challenge you here. It's a Super Bowl of the gods. And I'll tell you what, we're going to build an altar here. And then whosoever God, you're going to cry out to your God, I'll cry out to my God. And whoever God answers by fire coming out of heaven and consumes this altar, that's going to be the true God. And of course, the people are like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, we're all into seeing some you know, special effects happening here. And so they built an altar, and then it said what? The prophets of Baal got up there, and they prayed, and they prayed, 
And they prayed and they prayed and they started cutting themselves and they're calling, oh my goodness, here, answer us, go to Baal and blood's gushing all over the place and all of this and guess what? Nothing happened. Why? Because the God of Baal doesn't exist and whatever little trinkets that they had happened through Satan himself anyway and Satan was bound on this so nothing could happen. Finally, Elijah stands up and says, enough of your foolishness. Get out of the way. And they take the altar. They soaked it with water. They even dug a trench around the water and filled up the trench with water, soaked with water. And Elijah doesn't go up there and pray for three hours. He gets up there and just says, yes, Lord God, bring fire down and Boom, God just answers and just consumed everything, looked up the offering, looked up everything, and the people cried out, oh my goodness, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. Yeah, you think so? Because you, you didn't want him to lick you up too, okay? See, God has declared throughout the Bible that there is only one God. Moses recorded in Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God. He is one. The Lord is one. There's one God. Isaiah 45, 21 says, And there is no other gods before me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except for me. And that God, the only God, he is the Savior. And again, the word Savior means the deliverer that is God. And that deliverer that is God, he came to this earth. He lived as a man, fully flesh and blood like you and me, and yet fully God. And he came to do one thing, to be the suffering Savior, spoken of in Isaiah 53. John 14 says this, I'm going to go to heaven and prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And then, you know, it's just like, and he says, and you guys know how to get there. Thomas is like, what do you mean we know how to get there? We don't know how to get there. I don't have a GPS yet. Lord, GPSs are going to be here for like another 2,000 years. We don't know how to get to heaven. He goes, yeah, you don't know how to get to heaven? He's like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to heaven but through me. I'm the only way that gets to heaven. So then Philip says, well, Lord, show us the Father, and that will satisfy us. Well, I'm glad you'll be satisfied with that. You want a smorgasbord with that too? Uh, He goes, you want to see the Father? He says, Philip, what's wrong with you? Have I been with you for so long and you don't see it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, it's like it. There's only one God, and that God came there to this earth, the Creator, to die for His creation. Yes, the first commandment is a fundamental importance, for we are monotheistic as Christians. Monotheistic. We are not polytheistic. Monotheistic means that there is only one God. Polytheistic means there are many gods. Like Mormons are polytheistic. You know, they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. They believe that they could even become a god. So they believe there's many gods. You know, it's like, and so uh, Jehovah's Witnesses claim to be monotheistic, but then they teach polytheism. And how's that? Well, they say the first verse in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. But they changed that because it doesn't go with their theology. So they say, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was a God. Uh, A God? There's no A there. We have all the original text. I mean, you can go to the original, there's no A there. 
There is no A. And it's like, and so what you're saying is there's many gods in that he's a God. Well, how many gods are there? Well, no, there's only one God. Well, who's it? What do you mean a God then? See, it doesn't even go with their own theology, but we are monotheistic. There is only one God. The Bible is monotheistic. Man is polytheistic. The Bible teaches there is one God, one creator, and that one creator created man in his own image. Man wants to believe in many different paths, right? It's like, well, you're going to go this way, and I'm going to go this way. There's all these different paths to heaven, but we're all good people. We're all going to get there in the end. They all lead to the same place. Uh, They do not. See, when man believes that, then he can look around, just like in the, in the, 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 the temple of the 10,000 Buddhists, you know, you just find whatever you works for you. See, man wants to look around. He wants to find the God. He wants to find the belief system that best suits his present lifestyle. But we cannot escape what God has said in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You shall have no other belief systems. You have no other way. I am the only way. Which brings up our second commandment, have no image. So let's read the second commandment again in context. So that's chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any like this which is in heaven above. Like, don't even make an idol of what you think God looks like. Don't make an idol of something from heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a zealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Wow. Okay, so we're going to have no other images, nothing, no images. Is it not interesting that the Catholic Church has removed the second commandment? If you look at the Ten Commandments in the Catholic Church, the second commandment's not there. They take the third commandment, which is do not use the Lord God, his name in vain, and make it the second commandment. And then you get to the 10th commandment and they make that into two commandments, you know, which is basically thou shall not cover it. They make it into two. They say, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. And then that is nine. And then 10 is you shall not cover your neighbor's goods. So they, they have eliminated the second commandment. It's like not there. Like, hello, where did it go? Did you lose it? Yeah. I'm sorry. Where is it? I don't see it anymore. It's gone. Now, why did they do that? Why? Because the Catholic Church is filled with statues and images. So it doesn't fit their narrative. So we'll just, whoop, let's just take it out. You know, see, what do their members do? The members do what? They light candles to images. The statues, they burn incense to, they pray to uh, the saints, the other disciples, you know. They justify this based on, well, Augustine did it in the fourth century. Well, Augustine was wrong. Now, Augustine's done a lot of cool things, and I've even quoted him before, but he was wrong in this. See, if you allow that to happen, then you take the tradition of a man over what the Word of God says. And you can never do that, period, ever. It doesn't matter what culture or people say, God never changes, because he never changes, okay? So it's like if a culture or people do something else, 
God never changes. Okay, he never changes. Therefore, his word never changes. Yes, you shall not make any idol or likeness or serve any and worship them, even if it's an image of heaven, he said. So even if like, so you can't have a statue of Mary, you can't have a statue of Jesus, you can't have, you can't have any of these things because he said, I don't want it. Know this, God knows us better than we know ourselves. We all have an, a tendency inside of us to worship something. That's why people have lucky charms. They have you know, little rabbit's feet that they carry, little things like, I don't go anywhere without my little charm in my pocket, you know, or in my purse, or I have it on my mirror or my car. Uh, we have jewelry, we have crystals. We just, it's inside of us to worship something. People will build shrines to almost anything. People just will worship things. And what does God say about all the idols that man creates for himself? He says in Psalm 115, verse 3, This is what God says about him. He says, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are made of silver and gold. They're the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them, meaning they're dead and they have no life and you'll become the same yourself. Think about it. At what point does a rock or a piece of granite or a piece of marble before they start making a statue or at what point does a, a, a tree, uh, you know, a piece of wood before they start carving on it or any other kind of clay, you know, it's like, what, what point does it become a God? Is it after the craftsman carves the mouth? Oh, look, I think he's going to speak to me now. Okay. Is it, is it when he, 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 he carves the eyes? Oh, look at the eyes. Look, they kind of follow me. Look, look, wherever I stand, look, the eyes are looking at me. Is that, is that when it becomes a God? Or is it when he carves the ears and look, now he can now hear me. The point is obvious. It will never become a God. We cannot think we're not capable of this. For Moses had to cut short his time on the mountain with God that we're talking about right now. Imagine that. You're sitting there with God. You're on the mountain of God. And he's talking to you. I mean, it's like full conversation with God. He's already pulled out tablets of stone. He's been writing the Ten Commandments on there, and you're just kicking back. I mean, do you want to leave that spot? I mean, if, I was, if that was me, I'm just getting, can I get the lawn chair here? Where's my lemonade? I don't want to ever leave here, okay? Well, God says, you know, and we're going to see this as we get past the Ten Commandments here. Hey, Mo, hey, it's been great talking to you, but you got to get down the mountain. Why? Well, because the people are down there worshiping a golden calf. What? Golden calf. Yeah, your assistant, Aaron, made them a golden calf and said, this is who delivered you out of Israel. Like, what? I mean, this is insane. But that's what happened. We just have this tendency. We want to see something and worship it. We just want to grab onto it. Yes, we all prove to worship images. It's like, it's just, it, it happens in our lives. That's why some people have a picture of Jesus And these pictures range from the beautiful blue-eyed surfer Jesus, streaks in his hair, to the weak and anemic Jesus where he's like, you know, and it's just like, like, what is this Jesus? You know, it's like, well, I guess he's supposed to be, you know, humble and, and meek and what have you here. But it's kind of ironic that, again, as I mentioned last time, 
that the entire New Testament never comments once on what Jesus looked like. We don't have any clue about his approximate height, his weight. We don't know what the color of his hair was. We have simply nothing, not one detail in the New Testament. You know, well, there is one detail. I'm going to get to it here in a second. So these are the three descriptions that I talked about here uh, for a moment last week, but I'll give them to you again. Number one, here's a description in the Bible of Jesus, Isaiah 53, 2. It says, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So it's not like, where's Jesus? He's right there. Where? What? The, the, the guy that looks like Brad Pitt right there. Okay. That, that's Jesus. Okay. You know, no, the Hugh Jackman lookalike. That's, you know, no. No, he didn't look like that. Now, it's not saying that Jesus was ugly. It just says he was just massively average. There was nothing physically that you would look at him that you would be attracted to him. What attracted people to Jesus was who he was. It was the power that just came off of him. It was when he spoke, every word just seemed to make sense, like he's speaking right to me. That's what attracted people to Jesus. That's why when God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because God does not look at the outward like man looks. He looks at the inward. And so when you got around Jesus, you were drawn to him as you looked into his eyes and you listened to what he said, you were pulled in. But it had nothing to do with his look. So he was very average looking. Number two, Isaiah 52, 14 says, his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than any of the sons of men. So when he hung on the cross, they had beaten him. They had already pulled the beard out of his face, the Bible tells us. They beat him with rods and clubs. He was all just completely, you ever seen like a, a, a fight on TV or, you know, MMA fight where the guy's just getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and he's, he, both his eyes are just completely, you know, shut. He's just puffed up. His whole face is just distorted. And, and that was Jesus times another hundred on top of that. He was so marred and brutally mutilated, you couldn't even tell he was not recognizable as a man. So that's the second description of Jesus. And the third one was there in the New Testament when he stood before Pontius Pilate. And it's like, what? He said, behold the man. So again, number one, Jesus had no stately form, very average. Number two, he was more more than any man for the sin of the world as he died for us on the cross. And number three, His strength never wavered as he stood before Pontius Pilate with a crown of thorns on his head, beat to a pulp through the 39 lashes with a whip, and just Pontius Pilate said, behold the man. He was not some wimp. He was a man. He stood there. So why worship a picture? Why worship a statue? Why worship a cross or any beads? God has opened up the door wide to his throne room to me and you. We can come before God personally. We are called to worship him in spirit. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, 24? He said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We come to church to learn about God. We come here to worship, but you can worship in your home. You can worship in a bathroom. You can worship. You can drive and pull off the side of the road. You can worship God next to your bed. You don't have to look at an image. You don't have to look at a picture. You don't have to have something in your hand. You just can worship him wherever you are. That's what God has made available. I want to end with this verse. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a 
high priest that can sympathize. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. What he's saying is, look, you know when you, when you do something you know you shouldn't have done and you totally sinned, you know, all that guilt and, and all that thing has just come upon you like, oh God, I can't believe I did this again and everything. Well, you don't have to sit there and run from God. You need to run to God at that point because he says, look, I can sympathize with you. I was tempted in all things evil. I never fell to it, but I know that allurement. God can have compassion on you. You need to run to God when you sin. Don't run away from him. He goes on to say, let us draw near with confidence. That word confidence means I can come boldly to God, to the throne of grace, that I may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So it's like when you think like, oh man, no way, God hates me and I've sinned. It's like, no, no, you run to him and God will embrace you and you ask forgiveness and his forgiveness will flow through your body. Remember when Jesus died, his blood washes our sin away. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34. 34- 789 Los Angeles, California 90034